Before we get to the show this week, I have a message for the people who are listening through the Og slash Opus feed, and that is we are no longer going to be releasing the show as an Og slash Opus format, and the reason is because the MP3 format is no longer encumbered by patents and that sort of stuff, so there's no real reason for the Og slash Opus feed to continue as it is because it was created originally because of those patent issues and that sort of stuff, but that's no longer a problem. The feed will continue to give you the episodes, but it will be doing it in the MP3 format from go- going forward, so you don't have to resubscribe or any of that stuff. Uh, you don't have to worry about like changing anything in your podcast app or whatever, but uh, I do want to let you know that the AUG uh, version of the show will be re- being replaced with the MP3 going forward. Welcome to episode 128 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux GNU's. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take on things as the Unix user for over 20 years. And coming up on this week's episode, Sousa's acquisition of Rancher Labs is now complete, and I'll tell you why this matters to you. System76 announced their first entry into the world of AMD-powered Linux laptops with the new Pangolin laptop. A developer seems to want to prove me wrong about Linux support for Apple's M1 Mac, so we'll talk about that. And Pine64 announced that the KDE PinePhone is available for pre-order. Plus, we've got a lot of desktop environment news this week with new releases from both Linux Mint Cinnamon and Solus's Budgie Desktop. And the dreaded single-threaded issue for GNOME may be coming to an end, and we'll talk about that and so much more, all coming up right now on This Week in Linux. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. First in the show this week, let's talk about the acquisition of Rancher Labs by SUSE. So in a previous episode, we talked about the acquisition and that it was announced, but now it has been finalized. So what exactly does this mean? So a lot of companies are running technology in the old-fashioned way still, and these days there's a, a ton of talk about cloud computing. And in the enterprise world, this talk is about containers. For those that don't know, containers are a cloud virtualization technique used to run a software application and all of its connected dependencies in resource-isolated environments where processes are more independent. So what that means is that it makes it much easier to move different application component parts and stuff like that around inside of the workflow to basically just shift workloads when you need to. And Ranger specializes in container management using the open source uh, Kubernetes container orchestration system, which automates the deployment and scaling and maintenance and scheduling and all that sort of stuff for containers. But what Rancher does is offer Kubernetes as a service. So it takes away the engineering hassle of all of the internal mechanics that associates to things like managing and securing and, you know, securing and juggling containers, really, in the terms of Kubernetes clusters. So this is why the move from SUSE is very interesting, because Rancher is a big player in this space. And by acquiring Rancher, SUSE has positioned itself as a major player in a growing market. So this is beneficial for SUSE to quickly become a strong player, but it's also very beneficial to Rancher because they are backed now by a major long-term player in the enterprise world. So this is a combination of the container specialization of Rancher with the experience and the engineering prowess of SUSE. And I think this is a very exciting thing for SUSE to be doing uh, because this combination is kind of like 
adding a supercharger to both companies. And I think there's there's a lot of potential for this uh, this acquisition to be beneficial for both. And also, since SUSE is a big contributor to the Linux ecosystem as a whole, I am so excited to see what happens in like a ripple effect and stuff like that from this acquisition. And it's also worth noting that Rancher Labs is an open source project. And the CEO of SUSE, Melissa D. Donato, says that we fit well together because they're, they're, we're both 100% open source. We're equally as passionate about a true open source innovation approach, empowerment for the community. And I think that is just fantastic. It's also probably worth noting that Melissa Dinato is the CEO of SUSE and just and has been the CEO for just shy of a year, basically. So it's really interesting to see that kind of a of an acquisition so early in her term as the CEO, because there's it's it just shows that there's so much potential going forward for both SUSE and Rancher, and I am excited to see what happens. So if you'd like to learn more, I have a link to the announcement from Rancher and from SUSE in the show notes below. System76 has announced a new laptop for their product line, and that is the Pangolin. So this is an AMD-powered laptop. People have been asking about this for a while. Uh, they want an AMD-powered Linux laptop from System76 with current-gen AMD-powered hardware. So uh, System76 has listened to that and have introduced the uh, the Pangolin, yet precisely the Pangolin. Um, for those who didn't get that that reference, that is the code name for Ubuntu 12.04, precise pangolin. Yep, that pun was eight years in the making. You're welcome. So let's talk about what this this laptop and on the blog post from System76, they say that we're rolling out the red carpet for the pangolin, which is sporting components from Team Red. AMD Ryzen CPUs team up with AMD Radeon integrated graphics to bring you the full Team Red experience inside a light, fast, everyday laptop. So this comes with Pop! OS as an option, also Ubuntu for the operating system, and it has a 15.6-inch 1080p display. It has up to 64 gigs of, of support for the DDR4 RAM. It has up to 8 terabytes support for an M.2 SSD. It has a bunch of expansion slots for USB Type-A, USB Type-C, and micro SD card reader. It has a 49-watt-hour lithium-ion battery, and also, of course, it has AMD Radeon graphics, and the what's powering it is the processor, the AMD Ryzen 5 and the AMD Ryzen 7. So you can get the 4500U or the 4700U option, which gives you up to 4.0 gigahertz or 4.1 gigahertz uh, respectively. And also the options are the 4500U has six cores with the eight cores on the 4700U. So if you're interested in checking out the blog post, I'll have a link for it in the show notes below to check out the Precise note, the Pangolin from System76. Links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With that platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of the DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, no, better than free, because you can get a $100 free credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started 
with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. In a previous episode of this show, I mentioned how the Apple M1 Macs were unlikely to run Linux because, well, I had no expectation that Apple would ever make a effort to make it work. And also, I felt like it would be a, like a lot of work to make it possible from a reverse engineering aspect. So I pretty much said that it was unlikely. And then a developer named Hector, Hector Martin decided to prove me wrong, which is great. So let's talk about that. So Hector Martin made a Patreon uh, campaign to uh, basically make support for Linux on these Apple Silicon Macs. So this is very, very cool, and it has already got a lot of backing, so that is awesome. But here's a quick like details about what this is. So uh, on the blog post, or I guess the about post for the Patreon page, uh, Hector says that Apple just released a new range of ARM-based Apple Silicon Macs that blow every other ARM machine in the same class out of the water. Wouldn't it be nice if they could run Linux too? And he says, as it turns out, they can, but someone needs to do the work. Since these devices are brand new and bespoke silicon, porting Linux to run on them is a huge undertaking. Well beyond a hobby project, it is a full-time job. So he created this Patreon page to essentially fund the work to do this full time to make it possible to have Linux support on the Apple M1 Max. So this is really interesting. And the goal is to have a daily driver level support for Linux on the M1s. And that is super interesting. And he actually has a lot of reverse engineering experience because he's made Linux run on the PS3, the PS4, and the Nintendo Wii, and a bunch of other stuff. Like It's very interesting because it, when I first heard about this project, I kind of like, okay, sure, like what are the odds this will actually happen? Then I saw who was doing it, and like, oh, okay, there is potential there. Let's see how this goes. So the first goal of the campaign was was reached within the first day, and it's that and it's very closely to uh, getting a thousand patrons at this point. So of course, the more he raises, the more time he can dedicate to making this happen. So I think this is very interesting. And he also did some frequently asked questions about this project. So he says, "What it says, what devices will be supported?" He says that all Apple M1 Macs are in scope, as well as future generations, as development time permits. The first target will be the M1 Mac Mini. And also an interesting question that he put in the in the FAQs was that does Apple allow this? Like, do you need to jailbreak it to make it work? And he says, Apple allows booting unsigned custom kernels on uh, Apple Silicon Macs without a jailbreak. This isn't a hack or an omission, but an actual feature that Apple built into these devices. That means that unlike iOS devices, Apple does not intend to lock down what OS you can use on these Macs. Though they probably won't help with the development. <laughs> That's pretty pretty true. I would say that they're likely not going to help, but it's really awesome that uh, Hector wants to do it himself because, I mean, it's just very cool. And he says that all the development will be in open source. It'll be pushed to GitHub regularly. Contributions will be written with the intent to upstream them into restrict, respective upstream projects like the Linux kernel and that sort of stuff. So that is very cool. If you'd like to learn more about this project or if you want to contribute to it as a backer, then I'll have links in the show notes below. And there is, there's already a lot of interest in this. And I think that is awesome because in terms of hardware, the ARM laptops from Apple are pretty solid laptops in terms of like ARM, because there's not really any really high-powered ARM devices out there 
other than the Apple stuff. So it's very interesting to see what happens there. And I think this would be awesome if this is, if Hector is able to do this. So if you'd like to participate in that, I have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about the new PinePhone Community Edition for KDE. That's right, KDE Plasma Mobile on a PinePhone from Pine64. Pre-orders are available right now for, for in, in December 2020, and the estimates for the dispatch of the devices for delivery will be mid-January 2021. So if you're interested in this, you need to do it very quickly. This is the fourth community edition for the smartphone from Pine64, and this, as I said, has KDE Plasma for Plasma Mobile, and that is Really, really cool. I'm a big fan of KDE Plasma, and I am so excited for Plasma Mobile to get to the point where I can use it as my daily driver uh, because having Plasma everywhere just sounds awesome to me. And the Plasma Mobile UI uses KWIN and Wayland. It's even built on Manjaro Linux, so that's really interesting. And you can get uh, the the converge, full convergence stuff from KDE because that is that is so awesome that KDE Connect works on Plasma Mobile. I'm a huge fan of KDE Plasma. I'm also a huge fan of KDE Connect specifically. One of my top reasons, my top one of my top five reasons for being a fan of KDE Plasma is KDE Connect because it is that good. And also KWIN is another one of those. You, you should just check out the, the five reasons why KDE Plasma is my favorite uh, desktop environment uh, video that I made. Link in the show notes. Uh, KWIN and the KDE Connect are both in that top five, but there's quite a few more. And so check those out. I mean, there's there's three more in the video, but there's, I mean, there's thousands in general because you can't fit all that in a video. Anyway, moving back to the PinePhone, this has two different versions. There's the two gigabyte RAM and the 16 gigabyte storage. That is the 150 or 149.99. The convergent, convergence package has a three gigabytes of RAM and 32 gigs of eMMC storage. And this comes with the USB-C convergent dock, which gives you extra connections for peripherals like a mouse, keyboard, uh, even monitor with HDMI out. Really cool. I actually did get a convergence package with the previous community edition. Uh, though I, I want I, I don't know if they let me do this, but I really want to get the KDE logo etched on the back of the phone. So maybe if they just let me buy the back of the phone. So I, cause I already have the same phone because the, the version of the hardware is the same for this edition from the previous edition. And I, I just want KDE etched on the back. I think that's awesome. So pine, can I, I don't know. Let me know. Maybe. Uh, this comes with an all-winner A64 quad-core Sysmon chip with a Mali 400MP2 GPU. It has a 5.9-inch screen LCD 720p with 18 by 9 aspect ratio. It has support for USB Type-C. That's how they use the connector, which is awesome. So it's, it has a modern connector. It has HD digital video out. It has, of course, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, all that stuff, a selfie camera, a back camera, all of that. But also it has kill switches. So you can disable the LTE. You can disable the Wi-Fi, the microphone, the cameras, and more. So if you're interested in a, a Linux-powered uh, phone, then check out the Pine phone from Pine64. And also, again, Pine, can I have a KDE etched on my phone? That sounds awesome. Anyway, <laughs> links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some interesting news from the GNOME team, and that is that GNOME 40 is looking to move the input work to a separate thread. So the Mutter Compositor Window Manager is going to be 
having some different change, having some changes to like a reconstruction of the uh, the way that the inputs are hand- handled, and that is to be moving them to a separate thread. They've already put this has already been merged into the code, so that it's not like it's it's going to happen. So what will this actually affect? Well, this is the topic that has been long standing in the community about how GNOME has always worked on one thread or it's single threaded, and that creates an issue with in case the system crashes, your entire shell would also crash too. So create making a, a kind of a complicated problem in terms of whether or not you're using X or Wayland. So for example, X has a fallback. So if it does crash, you can kind of save it and, and fix it from the like the drop down terminal or like the uh, TTY approach. But with the Wayland setup, it didn't have that fallback. So it would just crash the system. And since Wayland is the default for GNOME, that creates some issues. So this is kind of a way to solve that problem. It's not going to be like a full multi-threaded structure. It's just fixing the problem of that particular crashing issue where the inputs will be able to be separated from the th- from the main shell thread. So you'd still be able to use your mouse and your keyboard and stuff like that, even if it does crash. So that's the real reason why this is happening. And it's an, it's an interesting decision because it is something that they have been needing for a very long time. So I am happy to see it. So it, would, it should allow for avoiding possible blocked cursor pointer situations, uh, better dealing with high-frequency input devices, and also ensuring that no lib lib input events are missed. So that's good, and it's just a, it's just better for improvements overall for the the engineering of GNOME. So the developer of this merge request, uh, Carlos Garnacho, sorry if I mispronounced that, he says this doesn't change anything in regards to the API that the UI thread should access from the uh, MetaSeed MPL, IMPL, I don't know, and the Meta Input Directive native or the settings, all these objects are now considered owned by the input thread as well as the lib input objects. So this is this is a uh, Mutter will also no longer disable the X security extension when X Wayland is built with the X security extension enabled. So that's that's pretty cool, and it also have better handling of the X Wayland crashes, which is kind of having an like there's when I was talking about the Wayland crashes, it also applies to X Wayland, so it'll be better to handle that as well. If you'd like to learn more about this particular news, I'll have links to the merge request and some details in the show notes below. So check that out if you'd like to learn more about the the separate thread for GNOME 40 that is coming soon. Well, soon in relative, relative terms, next year, but still. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust, and you can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. Password managers are great because they allow you to have security and convenience. So you can have with Bitwarden, you can get password uh, features like password generator, password vault. You also get support for uh, various different devices like your mobile, your desktop, browser plugins, and even on the command line. You can also get features like autofilling the passwords so you don't have to type the passwords in yourself, which is fantastic. And not only that, Bitwarden is a password manager that is open source, 100% open source. This is why I use and trust Bitwarden. And they also allow you to do self-hosting if you'd like to do so. But in addition to the open source software, which is fantastic, they also do security audits where they hire third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure it is as secure as possible. And if you want to get started with your free account, you can go to bitwarden.com DLN. 
Or you can get the premium account, which starts at only $10 per year. That's right, per year. You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP, or temporary one-time password authentication, storage, and generation, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But if you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation for their service by signing up for the premium edition, especially since it only starts at $10 per year. So thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show, we got some news from the Budgie team. So Solus has announced that the Budgie Desktop 10.5.2 has been released. This supports the latest GNOME 3.38 stack. It also still supports GNOME 3.36 for making back backporting easier, but it'll be, it's based on the 3.38 as this, the current stack. Uh, Budgie launched a new separate project called Desktop View as well. And this is going to be like an, a way to iterate on this project independently from the Budgie desktop itself. And the goal is to kind to kind of make a making it possible to have quickly accessing content and applications the user finds the most important uh, is separate from the Budgie desktop's uh, main workflow. So this is really interesting that they're doing this separation project. And 10.5.2 comes with the Desktop View 1.0, which features um, the Budgie's uh, first official desktop icon set, replacing the old icons from the Nautilus uh, drop support for that a uh, long time ago. And Joshua Strobel, the uh, one of the maintainers of, of, of Solus, says that we have always recognized that for many, desktop icons is an important part of their workflow. And so retaining that support in a sustainable manner was paramount for the release of Budgie 10.5.2. This also includes various tweaks and improvements to the system for Budgie. Uh, support for single and double-click for launching items is, is added. Uh, also, uh, they're adding um, improvements to drag-and-drop support for uh, various different things related to the, the, the desktop environment. They're also uh, redesigned the sound applet, and they have improved the Budgie, min, uh, Budgie menu applet and revamped the system tray applet that now lets you have a lot more space between the different icons. They've also improved a lot of other uh, applets as well as imp uh, the updated the Budgie desktop settings and also made some changes to the Raven Notification Center to make it more consolidated and have extra features in there. They've also made some improvements to the keyboard layouts and keyboard mappings and a lot of other improvements and bug fixes and stuff like that. So if you're interested in checking out the latest release of Budgie, you can check it out in Solus and also other distributions also ship Budgie. So depending on which one you prefer, but the if you're not aware, the Budgie desktop is made by the Solus team. So if you want to check out the latest release as fast as possible, check out Solus. We'll have a link in the show notes below for the latest announcement for the Budgie desktop 10.5.2 release. Up next in the show, we have a little bit of a spicy topic, and that is Cinnamon Desktop 4.8 has been released. So this is the desktop environment created by the Linux Mint team. It's actually going to be available in the next Linux Mint release as a default desktop environment, uh, though for other distributions have already started pushing out trying to get work for it. So if you, depending on what distribution you have, you have a rolling release or something like that, you may already have it. So you can check your repos to see if you uh, or have that available to you. Uh, but this will be coming around sometime next month for the Linux Mint users and that sort of stuff. Uh, the new features include new suspend then hibernate function. So it instructs the desktop environment to first suspend the system and then hibernate it after a certain period of time of inactivity. So that's an interesting point. I'm not sure if that's really something that uh, how valuable it is to go from suspend into hibernate rather than just going to one or the other, but it's very interesting that that's now a possibility. Uh, also, the Nemo file manager gained the ability to add files 
or uh, fold fi or folders to favorites via a new right click context menu called the uh, add to favorites section. This is easily accessible from a de dedicated favorites applet as well. Uh, further improved integration of Flatpak apps for side-by-side -side installations. And also they have improved the interpreter for uh, JavaScript or the uh, the CJS, which is the Cinnamon JavaScript interpreter, now uses Mozilla's newer uh, Moz JS78 JavaScript engine, which means that Cinnamon now starts up much faster than previously. And it also makes it easier to maintain for other distributions outside of Linux Mint. So that's always good. And they've also done some improvements to new keyboard shortcuts for displaying the applet menus, uh, improved dragging of items across the desktop environment, and a bunch of other new stuff. Like they've added a new uh, shortcut for being able to mute the microphone, which is very nice for some people, and depending on like doing conferences, especially these days, and that sort of stuff. So there's been a lot of improvements to the latest release of Cinnamon. So if you'd like to check it out, I have links in the show notes below for the latest release of 4.8 for the Cinnamon desktop. So links in the show notes below. And speaking of Bitwarden, they're actually putting on a conference or the, a summit for the Open Source Security Summit. And they're going to have a lot of speakers from HackerOne, NASA, and Red Hat. It's going to be happening on December 10th. This is a virtual and free event, so anyone who would like to sign up for it can, can do so. I have links in the show notes below. And the Open Source Security Summit is a forum to explore intersection of open source and security. They say that we chose to focus on credential management initially, which remains a critical first line of defense for individuals and companies to mitigate cyber attacks. They go on to say in the description, upon building upon years of industry, open source, and security efforts, we aim to engage a community of like-minded enthusiasts sharing their ideals and tactics to make online experiences safer for everyone. And this is, like I said, it's a free and uh, virtual and experience. So if you wanted to join it, you can just go to the links below, which is the opensourcesecuritysummit.com. It's going to be talking about open source security and password management. There's going to be a lot of different talks. There's going to be a talk about open source and open security industry directions, which is a keynote, which will be put on by Martin Mikos, a CEO of HackerOne, and Kyle Spearin, which is the founder and CTO of Bitwarden. They're also going to be doing a talk about building high-velocity teams with secure, uh, secure shared credentials, which is from Mark Miller. He's from the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. That's how you say it. NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. There we go. Words sometimes are difficult. Anyway, there's also going to be a fireside chat, and it says it's be uh, it's 2021, a new path for identity and credential management. And also, there's going to be a talk uh, from, uh, from the Bitwarden engineering team about engineering roundtable and a community Q and a, and there's actually much more, uh, from the Bitwarden team. So if you were interested in checking out the open source security summit, you can go to open source security dot or open source security summit.com, or you can just click, check the links in the show notes below for how to register and get involved in this new conference. So again, December 10th, open source security summit, check it out. All right, let's take a moment to do a little bit of housekeeping. There's just a couple things I want to let you know about. And just in case you're not aware, we do this show live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or 1800 UTC. And if you're in a time zone where that's not helpful, I have a link in the show notes and in the video description that is a time zone converter, so you can convert it to whatever your time zone is to make it much easier that way. And also, if you haven't heard the GameSphere show, this is a show on the Destination Linux Network that had just launched about video games, and it is fantastic. If you're interested in anything about video games, check it out at gamesphere.show. Also, link in the show notes and the video description. And if you're also not aware, we have a 
basically a chatterverse for Destination Lakes Network. So if you want to be on Telegram or Matrix or Discord or whatever, you can actually join the chatterverse and have a conversation with everybody in the community and you can pick whatever platform you want, which any of those platforms, all of it works because they're all merged together and is an awesome experience. So join the Destination Linux Net Network community by going to destinationlinux.network slash community to find out more. Up next in the show is some somewhat unfortunate news, and that is the net market share browser war reports are going to, well, actually they have already ended. So unfortunately, they have decided to retire it in its current form because of there's basically issues with Google creating some breaking changes. So there'll be no new monthly stats that are going to be released going forward. And this is this is because of these changes that proposed by Google. Because uh, for for the, for those not aware, let's just go ahead and explain what Net Market Share was doing. So it's a it, it does like a it's a reporting tool for public browser share, and they've been working on providing these reports for more than fourteen years now. Uh, but they said that the the data they provide is primary source and tens of thousands of articles and publications, which a lot of the times you'd see like the Basically, earlier this year, we had a like increase in the market share for Linux. That's what we used was net market share to get that data. And unfortunately, that will no longer be a thing because the change that they're talking about is because uh, Google proposed a modifications to the user agent client hints, which will break net market shares device detection technology. They say that earlier this year, Google announced that it wants to freeze the user agent and switch to client hints instead because it will reduce the complexity of updating user agent strings and improve the privacy of users, they say. User agents is a string given to websites containing information about your browser and operating systems and stuff like that for statistics, site compatibility, and that sort of thing. But they're saying that Google wants to deprecate the user agent as the string. They, as they're saying, it's a privacy risk and commonly used by fingerprinter scripts to track users. Now, that is true. They, it is used for print fingerprinting in some degrees. But uh, it, their, their client hints, they don't really say exactly what the change, how significant the changes are and what they're going to be still be able to get information and that kind of thing. So there's not fully aware of what the full replacement would be or if there's even ever a replacement. That's why the net market share has decided to retire this service. Uh, because they depend on the user agent to produce the accurate statistics, it will no longer be able to do accurate reporting. And therefore, they've decided to no longer continue doing these reports. So it's unfortunate and it's um, it, it just, you know, it's just unfortunate news. There you go. So if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the network net market share uh, uh, announcement in the show notes below for those who would like to learn more. Up next in the show is the latest release of OpenZFS 2.0. And there's actually some big changes for OpenZFS, and that is the project ZFS on Linux has been unified with OpenZFS project. So it's being that's adopting the name OpenZFS. So they're going to be using the same code base to make it work. So this is really interesting because it means that, that OpenZFS is now compatible with the same code base for Linux and for FreeBSD. And so, this, so anything that you do on OpenCFA will work on both of those platforms. Uh, so that's really awesome. Uh, also, there are some a lot of new features that are included in this latest release, so such as support for Z standard uh, compression or ZSTD, uh, persistent L2 ARC cache device uh, across devices for reboots, a sequential resilver for uh, re rebuilding a failed mirror VDEV much faster than the traditional healing resilver, 
and a lot more stuff is available in this release, including improved scalability of the ZFS share command, a systemd ZFS mount generator by default on Linux systems is now set up, and also they have improved the write performance for heavily fragmented pools, as well as improving the bootloader support for OpenZFS. So this is really great. If you're if you're not familiar with ZFS, it's a file system that is mostly known for having a large data pool available for like data centers and that sort of stuff. So if you have a NAS or any kind of thing you care about storing as much data as possible and also compressing it and having backups and that sort of stuff, ZFS is a great file system for that. I mean, it's not necessarily the best file system for everything else, but for that particular type of workflow, it is a fantastic file system. So if you learn, want to learn more about the latest release of OpenZFS or just OpenZFS itself, I'll have links for the wiki, wiki page for OpenZFS as well as the release notes for OpenZFS 2.0 in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Library t-shirt by going to the DLN store at dlnstore.com, as well as the This Week in Linux t-shirt that I'm wearing in the show, and all kinds of other stuff, including shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and much more. Check out dlnstore.com. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm the co-host of those shows as well on the Destination Linux network. And also, just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1800 UTC. And if you're in, if you're not in one of those time zones and you want to like check check out the uh, time zone converter we have, that's also available in the, sh the show notes and in the video description. So check that out to make it easier for finding out what the show's schedule time is in your time zone. So join us live every week on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1800 UTC to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for your weekly source for Linux good news.